Amen. Let's give him another round of applause. Thank you, Caroline. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Ali Shulman. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you came or got dragged to church today. Uh, we are thrilled to have you. We believe that presence is a sign of witness. It's a commitment to something, whether you see it that way or not. So you showing up here or worshiping online with us is a way of you committing to God in some way, of taking that small next step towards God. And we've been in this sermon series recently, a sermon series we're kind of obsessed with. If you haven't gotten the memo, we're a little bit obsessed with stories as of late. Stephen and I dug deep into some neuroscience and some psychology recently, and we got really into this idea of stories. And we're not the only ones. In the last five to ten years, there's been kind of this birth of research around stories and their impact on us, how they work in our brains, why we need stories, why it actually, some people argue that it makes us human, that we tell stories. And there's some really interesting stuff about how when we hear stories, they actually initiate a process that kind of activates our autobiographical memory. In other words, stories and the stories we hear, the stories we take on, they impact our understanding of ourselves and the world and the role we play in it. And our premise for this sermon series has been this. Everyone is the main character in their life. Everyone is the main character in their life. And at least most of us believe that somewhere around 16 to 18. We start to believe that. We're like, oh, yep, I am. I go to college. I make these choices. I'm directing my life in a certain way. But over time, what starts to happen with that idea, what starts to happen with that idea of I'm forming my own story, is that we realize a little bit later in life, maybe in our 30s or 40s, that the story that we created for ourselves isn't quite working. And sometimes that's because of a detour or a disappointment in that story. So something happened, a loss, a tragedy, you didn't get the job that you wanted, you didn't get into the program that you thought your life was destined for. And that can kind of detour us in a way where we don't believe that we're the main character in our story anymore. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe your story has gone great, actually. Everything you've wanted, you've more or less gotten. You've gotten the marriage, you've gotten the kids, you've gotten the job, the career, the practice that you wanted. Everything's going great, and then somewhere around midlife, you start to look around and say, huh, I got everything I wanted, but for some reason, this story isn't sustaining me anymore. We start to kind of look around and maybe choose other stories, which is why we end up with stuff like midlife crisis or quarter-life crisis or end-of-life crisis. It's the idea of like, oh gosh, this doesn't mean as much as I thought it did. And we start to look around. So our idea with this sermon series is, well, let's look at the most prolific story out there. Let's look at the points and the parts of it and see if we can learn from it, see if we can learn how to better live our story based on that story. And Stephen introduced this story last week. It looks like this. This is a story that is based off of Carl Jung's work, and then his student, Joseph Campbell, wrote this story and kind of summarized it. It's what they call the monomyth. It's a version that they call the hero's journey, and this is kind of a modern interpretation of it. And they proposed that the best story, like the most compelling stories, follow this guideline. And it starts with a main character, 
the main character experiences some problem, maybe a problem in the world, maybe a problem in themselves. But they experience a problem, and then they get called out to solve that problem. But usually when they get called out, it's called out into the unknown. It's something that they have to take a risk for, and that's what Stephen talked about last week. You have to take a risk. There's usually some suffering around it. And then after they experience that call to adventure, after they accept it, then they meet a guide of some sort, right? They meet a guide who then gives them a plan of how to solve the problem, and the guide then calls them into action, says, okay, you have a choice, and then the main character makes that choice. And that choice either ends up in success or failure. Obviously, the good stories that we remember often end up in success, right? So this is called The Hero's Journey, and it's become really popular because little tidbit that I find so fascinating, in 1985, a Disney exec wrote a memo summarizing Carl Jung's work and Joseph Campbell's work, laid it out in seven pages, and sent it to all the Disney execs and story consultants that were in Disney. And what do you know? After that, what happened? Lion King, Harry Potter, Star Wars, The Chronicles of Narnia, Frozen, all those stories follow a similar trajectory. They follow this idea of like, ooh, they found out that that story compelled people to want to listen to the story, and so they started making more and more stories that followed this journey. And this is a, a really interesting concept because then it begs the question, well, why? Why is this so compelling? Why is this story the one that we gravitate towards again and again and again? And Carl Jung had an answer, and neuroscience has kind of backed it up. The reason that this journey, that this plot line, is so compelling to us is it provides an antidote to the meaninglessness we experience in life. It provides that answer to the midlife crisis. Because ultimately, what's interesting about the hero's journey is more often than not, the hero has to go beyond himself or herself, has to face limits or understandings about who they are, has to sacrifice something, usually themselves, sometimes their life, in order to achieve something good for the world. Every hero's journey involves sacrifice for the common good. And when that hero does that, some meaning is discovered some meaning of how to live better, and then they go back and share it with their community and with the world. You see this all the time, and something about this feels very true to us. It feels very real, very right. It helps us think about our lives better. And you see this all the time, right? Like, think about all the major stories I just listed, right? Harry Potter, I don't know if you all know that, but I'm a big fan, right? So Harry Potter sacrifices himself to defeat who? Voldemort. Oh, good. Voldemort. Then we have, I don't know Star Wars, so I'm not going to pretend to know that, but I think there's an analogy that fits in Star Wars, too. But then you have Aslan, who sacrifices himself to defeat the White Witch, right? And then we have, what else? Iron Man sacrifices himself to defeat who? Thanos. Y'all, y'all got to get up on these stories, my friends. All right? So these, though, whether you've seen them or not, they they're in the culture. Like, we feel that very real. That moment when someone sacrifices themselves feels right and good, and this is hard and suffering, but it's still something good and true and beautiful about it. Does that 
make you think of any other story that we're missing? Self-sacrifice for the common good of the world? Huh, huh, it does. And Carl Jung will tell you that this, this is the hero's journey that he was talking about when he made up the monomyth. This idea that Jesus himself, as a Christ figure, went on this journey. That he was the one who lived it out in real life. And of course, there's caveats because Jesus was divine. So for example, he didn't need a guide, so to speak. But that form of the guide was Jesus constantly in presence with the Father. And he talks about this in the scripture, that the Father is constantly with him. Then he learns of the plan. There's indications that Jesus knew of that plan. He talks about the plan. And of course, he takes the action that is required by that plan to save the world. And then victory is won. And you might look at this and say, great, great, that was good for Jesus and good for Aslan and good for Harry Potter. But I don't know that this is what I'm supposed to be living. And if you do, I want to remind you of one of my favorite verses in the Bible that I always come back to, and it's this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he believes in Jesus ought to walk the same path that he walked. Another version says they ought to live the same life that he lived. We are kidding ourselves if we do not understand that what it means to follow Jesus means to take on that journey that I just showed you. And of course, it looks different for us. Calls to adventure happen all the time in our lives, and sometimes they appear very small. Sometimes they appear like gargantuan, like you can't even imagine them. But Jesus, by his example, is saying, hey, you, you to make your life meaningful, to get past that point of feeling meaningless, you need to follow my example. You have to mold your life after a path of self-sacrifice for good. Because it is only in that that you will find the meaning of life. And we in Christianity call that living like Jesus. We also call that living in the kingdom. We use that metaphor a lot because we think what Jesus was showing us was a pathway that we can walk in order to better follow him and to live into the kingdom of God that he gave us. Now, last week, we talked about this part, the call to adventure. And we talked about how that can be big or small, how there's, it's very palpable when you're an adolescent, when you're looking at that call to adventure and what that means. And over time, it becomes less and less pertinent in your life, right? You're like, oh, I'm done. I finished that part of my story. I'm over it. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. That call to adventure, it's constantly present in your life. When you choose to follow Jesus, can be at any point in your life. And you have to take up that call to follow him. Well, this is all said and good, but we don't have the Father's constant presence with us. So then who is our guide? Because that's what I'm supposed to talk about today. The guide. Who is our guide? And we could kind of, you could say, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is our guide. And that's true. I mean, there's part of that that's true. But I want to give you actual things to hold on to to leave here with, okay? And I think it's very appropriate that we talk a little bit about what the guide means first. And it's no coincidence that we're talking about this on Mother's Day, right? Because my, this is my definition of a guide. A person who shows the way to others 
But then there's a second part that motivates them to greater things. That's true in any major guide in any film. They motivate the hero to greater things. And in essence, that's what great mothers and parents do. They live the life, they show the way to others, and then they gently, patiently, with a lot of kindness, but if you're normal, with a lot of angry lectures, you get your kids on the right path, right? That is what a parent's job is, to gently nudge your kids as much as you can on that path. When I was in college, I broke up with Dan. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, I married him later. And wouldn't you know that the person who was like, oh, this is a bad idea, was who? My mother. My mother, who's sitting over there. My mother was like, oh, this is not a great idea. And she knew, after 19 years of being in the house with me, she knew that, like, I can't give her a lecture. So the whole summer, she just kept giving me little nudges of like, yeah, 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 uh-huh, 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 and just assuming, talking as if we'd get back together. Just these little tiny nudges all summer, gently nudging me back to where she knew that path would lead me. And I think about that all the time because I think about, God, that is the essence of being a guide, of watching someone who is in your life making kind of a path that you know is not the best for them, but knowing it is their choice and also trying to have the wisdom to learn how to lead them well. And that's why it is no secret to me that in motherhood there is something divine. There is some reflection of divinity there, of God-like behavior that we are being called to in the form of a guide. And it is no coincidence to me either that the name that we get for this guide in our lives, at least in the Old Testament, is referred to in the feminine. And that is the Holy Spirit, or Ruah, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he leaves his disciples, tells him, them this about the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Of everything I have said to you. Doesn't that sound like a guide? That is the guide that we are given. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes it feels ethereal, something we can't access. But Jesus promised us a guide. And when you were baptized, you received that guide. But here's the reality, and I know this. I know this very deeply. I can tell you all day that the Holy Spirit is guiding you, the Holy Spirit is guiding you, and you guys are going to be like, hmm, how? How? How is this supposed to be real and accessible? How am I actually supposed to, like, commune with the Holy Spirit? Well, thank God that people much smarter than us went before us and formed a tradition of how to do this well. So for the rest of our time together, this is what we're going to talk through. There is a name for when you need to figure out choices with the Holy Spirit. You've heard it, but not in the religious context, I bet. It's called discernment. Discernment. Discernment is originally a religious term. It has to do with discerning where the Spirit is calling you. This is one of the better definitions that I've seen. It's an interior dialogue with the Holy Spirit that helps us understand how God is calling us to live and follow Jesus. 
It is a process, and sometimes a very long process, of figuring out where God is calling you in your life, in small things and in big things. This is a process you can enter into at any point about anything. It usually, for the first part, involves just you and God, and then it brings other people in at the very end of it. And so we're going to walk through the steps of what it means to discern well. See, I told you, I get very practical with some very heady stuff, okay? So this, if you're wondering, if you're in a place right now where you need to make a choice, a job, a school, um, if you, anything relationally, start this process now, okay? So these are the steps. The first one is to begin in prayer. And I know there's some eyes rolling, like, yeah, 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 begin in prayer. I mean real prayer. I mean not like, oh, I'll think about it while I'm washing the dishes, or I'll think about it while I'm on my run. That, those count. The Holy Spirit can intervene in those places. But what I'm saying is the act of forming a discipline of prayer is more about your heart and your commitment to God than it is about God showing up. So if you dedicate separate time that is still, your body is not moving, that is silent, you're not talking, and that is in solitude, you're by yourself, that is more reliably where the Spirit communes with you. And I'm not saying this, although it's been my experience too, this has been thousands of years of people who've been practicing spiritual disciplines. Silent, still, and in solitude. Begin by dedicating a set time of prayer. And y'all, it doesn't have to be that long. It can be like 10 minutes, 5 minutes. But it's dedicated time, and even if your mind wanders, it is dedicated time to listening to God. And honestly, listening to yourself. Most of the time, we kind of call the Holy Spirit intuition or coincidences or stuff like that. We name it something else when it really is the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, you know the answer in yourself. You're just not giving yourself space to listen. Does that make sense? So prayer is the space that you need to listen. The second step is to develop the question. There has to be a specific question that you are asking for the Holy Spirit to guide you on. So it can't be just like, where am I supposed to go, Holy Spirit? It really needs to be about, am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to stay in this marriage? Am I supposed to, those very specific situations. Generally, this is the wisdom of forming that question really reveals your desires. And part of this is asking yourself the question, what do you actually want? What do you actually want? So begin in prayer, focus on developing the question. You can't go any further until you've gotten those two. What question are you answering? The third one is what often we do first, which is consider the practical. You do need to make a list of pros and cons. You need to make a list of like, this is what I need to do, this is what I don't need to do, here's the cost. You need to consider those, usually on a piece of paper, usually with list sometimes in conversation with friends. Make a list of what those practice, what is it gonna actually mean for you to change jobs? And what are the options for you to change a job? How would that actually look in your life? Some of you bypass this step entirely. Some of you stay on this step for three years. We're gonna find a happy medium, yes? Neither of those is really wise. You need to come to that middle of finding a time where you can consider the practical and then let it go, yes? And the fourth step is the most important. 
sometimes in discernment world, they call this reflection. You need to invite others in. You cannot, and hear me, you cannot make big decisions on your own. You are not meant to. That is why we as a Christian faith operate as a community and not individuals. You cannot make major decisions on your own, and I would say you cannot make major decisions with just you and your spouse. You need someone else in the picture, and preferably two or three more someone else's. You do not have to tell everyone, though. Like, let me be clear. Some of you swing too far, and you want to go tell everyone and gather everyone's opinions, and all their opinions matter to you. No, that is unwise. You need to choose the people in your life who are older than you, who have been through it, who have some wisdom to give. Do you know that, the, that in the Bible it talks about the gift of discernment as a spiritual gift? That means some people have it, some people don't. You know who those people are. You know who the guides in your life are. Think about those people as you're bringing the decision or the discernment process to them. Talk to them and ask for their advice. See if they're a Christian where they see the Holy Spirit coming into this. Where do they see God at work in this? All right? Fourth, invite others in. And then fifth, make the choice. Make the choice, my friends. Some of y'all, the ones who take three years to consider the practical, you don't ever move. You don't make the choice. And that's okay. I'm just, I'm not program that way. I make choices too quickly. <laughs> so it is, it is against my nature, but I know that there are people out there. And again, we need to find the happy medium. We need to make a place where, yes, we're going through all these steps and not skipping to the end. Because some people will do that, myself included. We need to go through all these steps and make it to the end. We also need to make the choice and trust. Because ultimately, what you're doing when you get to the very end is you're saying, God, I have been faithful to this process. And now I'm trusting you to be faithful to me. And I'm trusting not that you're going to design a perfect life for me, but I trust in your character that you promised that you would be my shepherd, that you would gather me under your wings. So it doesn't really matter what job I choose, but I'm trying. I'm trying to navigate this best way and the most faithful way that I can. You have to make the choice and move forward but you have to go through the process first. So I'm going to do briefly an example of what this might look like in your life, okay? I'm going to start with small, non-consequential, non-big solutions here. Okay, so let's say you were making the choice about, let's do something, you were choosing where to send your kid to school, okay? They're young, they're not in college, they're not making their own choices. You're choosing where to send your kid to school. I think this applies. This still applies because newsflash, almost every choice that you get to make in your life applies. Not what you eat for breakfast. I don't think God cares about that. But I think the major choices that indicate your life need to be put under this process of discernment. Okay? So let's say you're choosing where to, where to send your kid to school. You have a few options. You're thinking about it. The first place you start is prayer. If there are two parents in the equation, they both start in prayer individually, separately. Yes? So they start in prayer. So let's say they commit to 10 minutes a day for the next couple weeks. They're going to they're do it like 30 days. They're going to pray for 10 minutes a day. 
as they pray, as they commit to that, they'll write down some things that maybe they learned. Most of the time, they're going to be frustrated by that process. They're going to be like, I prayed for 10 minutes and got nothing. I sat there and was silent, and no one spoke to me, and they're going to be super annoyed. But one out of the 30 days, there might be something, and that's why you show up. Then the two parents come back together after 30 days, and they say, okay, here's what we learned. Here's what we learned. Then what is the question that they're developing. It might not be which school to send it to. It might be, oh, this really narrowed down to two schools. So my question is, am I going to this school, school A or school B? Where are we sending our kid? That is the question, right? Then they'll take that, they'll go through the practical, they'll make their spreadsheets around cost, community, all the things that matter to them in a school. And then they'll go back and they'll find a parent who has been at both of those schools and they'll have someone who actually will tell you the truth. Do not go to coffee with people who are not going to actually tell you the truth. Yes? Go and go to coffee with individuals who are parents who have been at those schools. Then they might bring in someone from out of state, like a, an old college friend whose kids are much older and grown up. And they might talk to them about their experience. They'll weigh in on this question. And then both parents will come together and say, okay, we're not 100% sure. This could totally backfire. We might make the wrong choice. But here's where we're feeling God is leading us. And then you make that choice. Do you see how that works? Do you see how that would change how you, all the anxiety you have about decisions right now? Because most of us are paralyzed. I was about to cuss. Most of us are, are paralyzed with decision fatigue. We're so done with it. We don't want to make any more choices. And it feels so intense to make these choices, especially if you're a parent and you're making them on behalf of other people. Like, it is scary. But there is a process that was designed for you that God said, this is how I want you to go through this process. And it's been road tested for thousands of years, thousands of years, and it works. Like at the end of the day, it works. I've seen it work in my life. My decisions are a thousand percent better when I go through this process than when I leave it out. It works. And so my prayer for us today is a couple things. One, is that you start recognizing that you are being guided, that you are in fact the main character in a story because God made you as a main character in your story. Whether you're 90 or whether you're 12, you are still living out your story. And you are being guided whether you know it or not. Whether you call it intuition, coincidence, I just had a gut feeling. Whether you call it any of those things, it has a name and it is called the Holy Spirit and it is part of God. You are being guided. And I hope you recognize that this week and maybe practice it. Maybe practice it. As weird as it might say coming out of your mouth to say, yeah, I just had this feeling. Nope, the Holy Spirit led me. I mean, I know that's going to sound weird to a lot of you guys. Right? That's going to feel weird for a lot of you guys. But that's the truth. That's the truth, whether you want to say it or not. So recognize that you are the main character. Recognize that you are being guided. Name the guide for your sake, if nothing else. And then pick one choice. One choice that you have standing before you, whether it's a choice that you have to make soon or whether it's something like 
in a few years. Like pick a choice that you want to go through this discernment process with and start it. Start it. Just start it. Five, ten minutes a day in prayer and commit to that and see what develops. And if you have any questions, if this doesn't feel natural to you or if there's something that comes up, guess what? Like I don't want to advertise myself as a guide. I'm not really. But like we're here and we've gone through this and we can answer your questions. So ask us if you need to about how this discernment process works and where it shows up in your life. Okay, that is all. That is all I have to say. I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit fills us in our awareness as we move forward in service. So let us pray. God, you gather us together under your wings. You promise that you are with us in life even when it doesn't seem like it. And Jesus, sometimes it's hard to imagine that we're on this journey. Even though you showed us the way, you said that this is how we're supposed to walk. That we're supposed to be brave and go out into the unknown. That we're supposed to intentionally live this life. And yet, Lord, sometimes it's easier just to bury our head in the sand. Holy Spirit, make yourself known. Make yourself known here and in our hearts. That we might recognize that you are at work that you are here in every choice that we make, that you are attempting to guide us even when we're unsure. And may we in faith step out for the good of this world, for the soul of this world, and for us to follow you more deeply. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.